Welcome to this special edition of Michael Easley In Context. Previously on Michael Easley In Context. You listen and you hear, you understand something. You didn't learn Christ in that way, you know him. You heard him, and by the way, we hear him from the word, from the apostolic teachings we call our New Testament, the mind of God in print, and we've been taught not by him, but in him. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. We know Christ. We've heard him. We've listened to him. We understand him. And we know that we're being taught in him. He is teaching us, if you're a believer, his word, I hope and pray, is teaching you right now. Because we have to change our mindset. Now watch what he does. Verse 22, put off the old self. Verse 24, put on the new self. Put off the old, put on the new. Because of that corrupt, deceitful, uh, lustful, sensual lifestyle that we came from, we're to put that off, take those clothes off, put on a new self that is different than the old, but do not miss the motivation for this is not behavior modification. Look at what he says in verse 23, that you may be renewed, look, in the spirit of your mind. It is a mindset. It's a positional mindset. This is the tension of the Christian life. This is the tension of spiritual life. It's not just behavior modification. Don't do those things and now do these things. Everything's fine. That's legalism. And it fails all the time. Because you're always measuring yourself against this imperceptible scale that you've created and you compare yourself to others who do worse things than you and others who are better than you. And so we're on this craziness of trying to be better or good or different or I'm not as bad as them. Erase that new mindset. The mindset is our minds have to be changed about this. We've heard, we've learned, we've been taught. We're in Christ. Put off the old and put on the new. And the way you put on the new is you have to change your mindset. Now watch how Paul develops this because it's very helpful. We are in a position with Christ because we learned heard and were taught him. Now, as a new way of life, our new self, watch what he says, how we live this in the new life. So we have walking away from, we have a new self. Now look what it looks like in the new life, verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Now we have five imperative commands. Now we have, these are things we're to do. Don't forget 
Belief precedes behavior. We've got to have the mindset before we try to do something or it's just behavior modification. It's just a checklist. It will not work. To know we, we learned, we were taught, we understood him, to have the mind of Christ in us by his word and his spirit, now we get the commands. Now, for the Bible students among you who study in detail, these five imperatives have a formula. There's a negative statement, a positive statement, and an explanation. I'm not going to show you on each one, Wouldn't don't have the time, but there's a negative command, a positive construct, and then an explanation. The first one's easy to see. Lay aside falsehood, that's the negative one. Speak truth, that's the positive one. Why? Because we live in a community, if you will. So look again the language, verse 22, lay aside. Lay aside falsehood. When my children were young, I would often uh, preach to them be glad you're not a preacher's kid. Often preachers to them, Easleys don't lie. Easleys are truth tellers because I want their reputation to be a man or woman that people will always trust that what they say. Their yes is yes or no, no. They don't lie. Lay aside falsehood and speak the truth. We live in a community. We have to be truthful in that community. This is an exhortation. If you have the mind of Christ, if you know what you are called from, not those passions, not those insatiable passions, you're called to him. And the first one, he says, is lay aside false. Interesting, that leads a list. Don't lie. Don't lie. Secondly, be angry, but do not sin. Be angry, but do not sin. Christians uh, often have questions about, well, what does it mean to be angry? Don't, don't, don't let the sun go down your anger. I mean, how do we do that? Well, a quick primer. Uh, a, God is angry a lot in the Bible. He's angry at the Israelites. At times, he's going to destroy his own people. Remember, Moses intercedes. He tells Moses to move away, and Moses essentially throws himself at God's mercy and says, don't destroy these people. He says, I'll, I'll raise you a new people. It goes, no, the, and so forth. God's angry at their idolatry. God's angry at their penchant for intermarrying with pagan nations. He's angry throughout Scripture. In the New Testament, Christ is angry many times with the scribes and Pharisees. When he turns over the tables in the temple complex, the money changers who are extorting and abusing the privilege of taking money from that worshiper and giving them uh, unsatisfactory, less satisfactory animals for their sacrifice, he's angry many times. But it's a righteous anger. The way to differentiate between a righteous anger and we might say an immoral anger is a righteous anger has nothing to do with my sin but for an injustice or something that is wrong. Think about when you get angry, when I get angry. More times than not, I, I call anger a secondary emotion, meaning uh, what's really going on is something else and my anger is going to keep you away from the issue. So if I'm afraid of being caught, if someone is caught in a lie, they blame other people and they get angry at you. Why? Because no one wants to be close to an angry person. So if you yell and scream at your husband, your wife, your, your worker, your coworker, employee, your, your child, if you yell and scream at them, you're keeping them away, right? If they're mad at you, they're yelling to keep you away because something's wrong. I can't address it. I can't deal with it. I mean, you know, every parent's fantasy, when something goes wrong in the family, when you got the kids lined up, go, who did this? Father of mine, I did. 
I will not tell a lie. I, it wasn't my brother or sister. I did it. I own it. I was the one who did it. No one else is innocent. Punish me. I'll happily do whatever you said, O oh, Father of mine. No child says that. Few adults say it. Anger keeps you at bay. Anger also betrays. Because when you're in trouble, when you're lying at work, when you're lying to your mate, when you're lying to a friend, you're afraid of being caught. You're afraid of being found out. Didn't the list lead with lay aside falsehood? Tell the truth. Just as you parent your children, we've always parented ours. If you come clean, the consequences are always lighter than if we find out later that you lied. Lay aside falsehood. Be angry, but don't sin. It's my observation that some of the most angry people are people who are deeply unforgiven. There's stuff in their soul. There's stuff in their heart. There's lies. There's deceptions. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And they're the most angry people on the planet. And to try to peel those layers back. Interesting. One of the first questions God asks man is, why are you angry? Because an unforgiven sinner can respond repentant or in anger. A little bit of a simplification, but that is the point. Verse 28, do not steal but work. Not only should you work with your own hands, I love the passage, but if you work, you're able to share with others. Now, a little sidebar here. Um, we're talking national debate right now about minimum wages. Some areas are all up in arms about minimum wages should be uh, very high. Fine conversation, great for them to do that. What I find striking is the entitlement mindset of our culture is so permeated, you should pay me a lot of money for doing very little. That's really what it's about. Uh, Entry-level jobs are called entry-level jobs for a reason. That's how you enter the job market. And rather than saying, you should pay me more for doing the least work on the planet with no education or training, and I deserve $15 an hour for doing that, show me an employee who says, I'll work for minimum wage. And they work hard and they take extra hours and they clean up and they take initiative and they're kind and they do what their boss asks and they obey him or her and they're, they're a, a sterling employee. They won't be an entry-level minimum wage worker for very long. America's sick with this entitlement thing. You know what we deserve? Nothing. We deserve nothing on the backs of anyone. This is biblical, not American government. We deserve hell is what we deserve. That's what we earned. And by grace, through faith, not of yourselves, a gift of God that no one can boast, we're given an eternal gift called free, eternal life, a free gift. And our life then is a thank you back to God, willingly, readily, eagerly, and our culture has so ingrained us that we're entitled to. Sure, we help people. In fact, the Bible even says right here, work with your own hands so that what? You can share with someone who has a real need. It's not against helping people. All right, off the podium, back off the pulpit, back to the podium. Let no unwholesome word 
but edification. The word unwholesome literally means rotten. It's a great word. Don't use rotten words, but rather edify. Now, Cindy and I were talking about this in recent days. About And I, I, part of it, I don't think we're prudes or puritanical too much. Uh, but um, I find it interesting how in the last few years, coarse language has become so common within the body of Christ. It's, it's like we're edgy or we're cool because we can drop the F-bomb or we can say certain things. It's we're cool. Uh, many places in Scripture talk about coarse jesting. This one in particular, no, no rotten word, but edification. By the way, the Bible never just says stop doing something. Stop doing that. It always gives us the energy to do something different. Don't use that language, but rather edify. Your mother may have said like-minded, if you don't have something good to say, right. Um, good to revisit those axioms. I'm guilty of it. I can say some pretty snarky things. That's an area God's been working on me deeply on is my snarky, sarcastic, edgy, cutting uh, way of saying things. Last few months when I have coarse language on a Facebook post or a tweet, I blocked the user. I'm not going to try and deal with it on the social platform, but I'm just going, you know, I'm not going to do this. If that's the way they want to be, they're gone. But when the, all the culture around you is using that language, Cindy and I were talking about, you know, when it gets in your brain, when you start thinking those terms, where, where did you start thinking those terms? Because you started hearing them a lot, or you started reading them a lot, or you see them on the programs, you, you hear them on the programs you watch. And we've become immune, we've desensitized ourselves to them. Rather edify. Which one of us doesn't appreciate an edifying word? Great job. Thanks for taking that initiative. It's incredible how compassionate you are. Thanks for helping. Thanks for serving. Thanks for being a great mom. Thanks for being a great dad. Thanks for going the extra mile for me this week. Which one of us doesn't long to hear those words? Jesus speaking in Matthew 12, 34, you brood of vipers speaking to the scribes and Pharisees. How can you, being evil, speak that which is good? For, listen, out of the mouth speaks that which fills the heart. That's where the coarse jesting and the rough language, the rotten, unwholesome words, that's where it's, it's more troublesome than just being cool or edgy, is it's what's in our hearts. And if we're around it a lot, we hear it a lot, and it starts coming out a lot, there's a problem. Let no unwholesome word proceed. These are exhortations. These are commands. Everyone needs edification. No one needs our coarse language. Fifth and last exhortation that is a command, an imperative verb, is put away. Verses 31 and 32. And here he lists six vices that I will not unpack. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. And then, by contrast, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Why? Because we have been forgiven. I have a dear friend who's, a, you know, the, the disc profile, all kinds of instruments out there, but the disc, the DISC, the D's, the dominant person, headstrong individual, a lead, follow, get out of my way kind of person, no, no care about people's feelings, results-oriented. We call them high D's. I have a friend who's a, a real high D. I mean real high D. And um, I have watched God's Spirit work in that person's life, and they're one of the most kind, tender-hearted people I know. And every time I'm around them, I'm shocked 
at how kind and tender they are toward people that sometimes are really foolish. And I go, I want that kind of transformation. I want Christ to work in my life to see people kindly, with tenderness. Not, not that sometimes we don't deal with issues, sure, but rather than anger and malice and slander and wrath and bitterness, be kind, be tenderhearted. People are hurt. We're wounded. We're all limping at times, right? My father introduced me to photography when I was very young, about sixth grade, and uh, we had black and white cameras, Bellows cameras, and 124 MET lenses and uh, film and so forth, and we developed them, and we developed the negatives in a dark room and made black and white prints, and we had a makeshift closet in our house that we made into a dark room, and uh, I wasn't great on the uh, this side of the camera lens, but I really enjoyed the development processing side of the of the business, if you will. And so by uh, my sophomore year in high school, I worked uh, part-time at a photo lab, and I worked in complete dark rooms. I worked in the black and white dark room, certain high-sensitivity film, films. We had uh, color labs, custom labs, was a small custom lab, very busy custom lab. And uh, I was pretty proficient at learning how to do those things. And by the way, I started at minimum wage. And uh, so I go to work there, and uh, they, they give me an opportunity to learn. I learned things, and I, I, I learned how to work in total darkness. It gave me a, that much of an appreciation for what it must be to be blind. It also taught me that you can learn. I worked in complete dark rooms with machinery and technology going on, as well as hand things where you're having to unroll film canisters and clip them the right side out and put them in tanks and know how to move them without damaging them. Working machines that had big armature on them that if your arm was in the wrong place, wrong time, you would, you would break your arm and you had to learn to work in a totally dark environment. Once that film was processed and uh, stabilized or stopped, we might say, then you could look at the negatives. When you went to the print side of the industry, you took those negatives and you printed a test print. You had a safe light. You could see a little bit, but you were working with a negative image, and you project that negative image on, let's say, an 8 by 10 piece of photographic paper. Then you take it to the processor, and uh, when it comes out, it's got to be developed and then fixed or stopped the development. And then at a certain point, you can take it out into the light. So all that's done in a very dim environment. And then you took it to what we, today we would call um, color balancing or white light. And so when you, you took that print out into a white room, we had built a special booth with these lights, and you dropped your prints on it. Then you saw the work you were seeing dimly in the dark room. And the color corrector would look at flesh tones and greens, and he would say, plus two cyan, minus four magenta, 10% more density, less contrast. He'd mark on it with a grease pen, and back to the lab you went, and you printed your paper again and went through the process. I never, ever tired of watching that print emerge in the developer. It was always a, a magical thing to watch that piece of paper take on an image. I was pretty good at it. There were men and women that were geniuses at it, and nobody got it right the first time. Because you're working in a dark environment, and you can't really see the image until you take it out and put it in the bright white light and then you see how off you are out of focus wrong color that you go back and correct we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called and in order to do that part of that involves walking away from a former life where we were dark 
And no matter how good you are in the darkness, it won't work. But when the white light is on our lives and we see our sin and imperfection and what we need color corrected and reprinted and reprocessed is the work of Christ's Spirit in you. He loves you. He's not mad at you. He wants you to be transformed and conformed into his image, not your and my image of an American Christian, into his image. Remember the walk from where you came. You walk no longer in darkness. You now walk as children of light. Father, help us as we try to reframe our mindset, what it means to live the spiritual life. It's, it's ticklish. It's complicated. It's confusing for us at times. Thank you that your word is so wonderfully clear, a gold mine of information, not just data and knowledge, but the person of Christ. And we long for your spirit as we're exposed to your word to indwell us and empower us to be different, to grow and mature and to walk in wisdom. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Subscribe to our newsletter for the latest news and information. This is Michael Easley in Context. Don't let the world teach you theology.